0: As we begin this morning, I just want to tell you how much I love you. This church, I just love it. I love coming. It stirs my heart, and I just want you to know that, not keep it a secret. Uh, You are dearly loved by me and my wife, Cindy. So it's so good to be with you. We're going to finish the passage. Our passage from this morning was actually... uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11, all the way through chapter 3, verse 7. So we now come to into chapter 3, verses 1 to 7 to finish that. So if you'll follow with me. In the same way, you wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your pure and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely the external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on apparel, but it should be the hidden person of the heart and the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, the holy women of former times who hoped in God also used to adorn themselves, being subject to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, And you have proved to be her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Jesus, as we come to this Somewhat difficult text. It's not somewhat, it just is. We ask for your help, we ask for your blessing as we think about this together. Let the Holy Spirit be our teacher and our guide and give us, as Shelley prayed, ears to hear you, hearts that are receptives, but also that will to obey what you speak to us today. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Well, the other day, my dear wife, Cindy, who had really thought she could come today, but was just a little bit under, just a few days ago, dear Cindy, urged me to drink more water. I usually argue that coffee, after all, is water-based, so that my normal eight to 10 cups a day, I argue in my defense, is surely sufficient. But in this case, I chose to subject myself to her wishes and her wisdom, and so promptly drank three liters of water within the hour, which did feel like the right thing to do, but it also made me feel the need to visit the toilet many, many times as the afternoon progressed. Our passage in 1 Peter for today from 2.11 straight on through to 3.7 gives a lot of attention to what we should call voluntary subjection or being subject to someone else or something else other than ourselves, which, if we are honest to many of us, does not feel good at all. But I hope that our serious study of this passage this morning might change our minds and cause us to actually feel feel blessed by the demands of Scripture, even in passages like this. Now, I must explain that this is indeed a difficult and mind-stretching text, so I ask you to bear with me some hard stuff to think through, but I'll do my best to explain and and get to the meat of it. But I guarantee if you hang in there, uh, there will be blessing from even this passage of Scripture. The passage is quite long, which is why we had it read for us by Leanne and myself in three parts so that I will be really forced by time restraints to simply highlight the key and the salient points. I would love, actually, to come back to this passage again sometime in the future and really go into all of the detail, but we just cannot do that today in the time we have. This passage is ingeniously, quite ingeniously structured and teachable in a series of four. It's actually structured this way. There are four calls to voluntary subjection as rehearsed by the Apostle Peter in 2.13, 2.18, 3.1, and 3.7. There are also four actions of Christ on our behalf that enable such voluntary subjection as spelled out in chapter two, verses 21 to 25. And there are four critical caveats or stipulations or qualifications, we could call them, four absolutely critical caveats that attend each of these calls to subjection that help us to understand and appreciate and even apply this mode of what we should call voluntary subjection. So now let's get into this series of four, first of all, by examining the four calls to voluntary subjection. We find them, as we said, first in verse 2.13, subject yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And again in 2.18, servants, be subject to your own masters with all respect. And again in three one, in the same way, you wives be subject to your own husbands. And finally in seven, you husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way. And in each case to be subject is one and the same word or root word Hupotasso in the original language. Hupotasso, which has to do with the thorny, thorny, difficult subject of subjection. It is a compound verb combining hupo, which means sub or under, with tasso, which indicates order or standing or station so that you see how it has to do with the action or behavior or mindset even of placing yourself under some other social order or someone else of different standing or both something or someone else of different station. For the sake of mutual harmony or unity or for the sake of a greater purpose, hupotasso, to be subject. When hupotasso, to be subject, is used as it is here entirely in ethical contexts, it denotes recognition, recognition of and respect for authority and order, which involves giving deference to, subjection to, and sometimes obedience to some social order or someone of differing station or standing. But you see, critical, built into this very notion, it must, by definition, be voluntary. Which is why the Apostle Peter introduces it very deliberately in verse 13, so directly, Subject yourselves. It is a choice, a decision, a voluntary posture that only you yourself can make or determine. It is very different from submission. Some versions of the Bible, honestly, in my opinion, are translating it quite wrong when they translate it with submission, which can be coerced or manipulated or provoked by fear, which is to say forced submission. Which is also to say, honestly, lovingly, and objectively, please hear that, lovingly, honestly, objectively, that it is not Islamic. To my dear friends from Upper Room Church, it is not Islamic. The very name Islam simply means submission, submit, forced, manipulated, coerced, demanded. Being subject yourselves is very different than submission. Hupotasso is not that at all, but is more the idea of making yourself subject to someone or something, and thus it is wholly, entirely voluntary. Which is why, you see, the Apostle Peter includes this potent example this the most powerful example of all in verses 21 to 25 of chapter 2, which we'll come to in a minute. For it is the example of Jesus Christ himself, who so unswervingly made himself subject to God's ways, the Father's purposes, the will of the Father, even unto death, even unto God's purpose that involved a cross. But to the very end, it was voluntary. Entirely voluntary is the key to the picture of Jesus Christ. Voluntary subjection, and thus Peter says he is the the model of it all. And so we now turn to the four actions of Christ on our behalf that have the effect, actually, according to how this passage is structured, of enabling us to likewise demonstrate and live out voluntary subjection. Let's read just that short bit of it once more, chapter 2, verses 21 to 25. For you have been called for this purpose, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you would follow in his steps. He who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being abusively insulted, he did not insult in return. While suffering, he did not threaten, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself brought our sins in his body up on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you were healed, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls." As we now consider these four actions of Christ, the first one is based on the purposeful action of Jesus in as it says most literally in verse 21, to you leaving an example, requiring our willingness as it says verse further in verse 21, our willingness to follow in his steps. The example of Jesus only has power and merit if we choose voluntarily to follow in his steps. Even, and of course, including the manner in which Jesus himself voluntarily subjected himself to the most difficult parts of bearing our humanity, being human himself as well as divine. Are you, am I, a sincere disciple who wants deeply from the heart to follow in the steps of Jesus and so enter into voluntary subjection? This is the essence of this thing we call discipleship, to follow in his steps. And it is not easy. It is not easy. The second one of these four actions of Christ is based on the participle form of suffering Translated well as while suffering in verse 23. While being abusively insulted, he did not insult in return while suffering. That almost hidden little phrase, but oh so important, so as it shows to us, it is expected that subjection is costly. It is about a level of suffering. It's not easy. No wonder you read these passages that call for subjection and something in you rebels towards it. You can feel it. I can feel it. I can feel it in myself and I can feel it in you when the passage is read. Be subject. It is costly. The example of Jesus is while suffering. The third one of these four actions of Jesus is based on how Jesus kept entrusting himself. This is all based on the the flow of the grammar of the text that I don't have time to explain. How he kept entrusting himself as we read further in verse 23, emphasizing the repeated action of Jesus in, in entrusting himself to God who... What does it say? God who judges righteously. As a reminder to us to do the same when called upon to demonstrate subjection, trusting God's righteous judgments, not our own criteria or some other cultural factor, but the righteous character of God who judges righteously. Jesus kept him trusting himself God's righteous judgments as an example to how you subject yourself and me. And finally, the fourth one, based on the incredible truth of this incredible Christological Christ model for us in verse 24, He Himself brought our sins in His body up on the cross it's literally how it reads he brought his brought our sins in his own body up to the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness by his wounds you were healed it is that last phrase by his wounds you were healed that receives all the grammatical attention explaining the effect on us of the very work of Christ on the cross, that it brings about healing. The work of Jesus on the cross is one of healing. Eomai, in the original language, which is not restricted or limited healing in any sense that of our understanding, but it is healing in the broadest sense possible, affirming that we have been healed by the very wounds of Christ on the cross, meaning broad healing from spiritual rupture of sin, yes, but also healing of a wide sort, including social, political, Emotional healing, so that we can take the risk of voluntary subjection without harm to our psyche, without harm to our sense of identity, to our harm to our standing in the social order, the political world around us. It's because we have been healed through the wounds of Jesus. When you are already thus broadly healed, you can freely choose subjection because you are spiritually, socially, emotionally, and relationally whole. Whole beings by the wounds of Christ. And so now we conclude with the four critical caveats or qualifications, or you could call them stipulations to these calls for subjection that relate to these very demands of Scripture to subject voluntarily yourself. And because we need to conclude, I will do my best to keep this brief, succinct, to the point. But I beg you to bear with me because these caveats are Absolutely critical, so important, or we miss it. Please stick with me. (laughs) As we listed them at the outset, the first call to such subjection comes back in chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, where we are urged to subject yourselves to the Lord's sake to every human institution. Subject yourselves to the Lord for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as to one in authority, or to governors as one sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers and the praise <coughs> of those who do right. In the scripture, this requires a very critical, necessary caveat, a stipulation. And of course, that necessary caveat here is as it assumes that such subjection is not, is not, never in, in fact, in opposition to God's higher laws. When a government ask you to do something that you can in good conscience that does not violate God's ways, of course we subject ourselves. But that does not give carte blanche to any political authority to tell you what to do. <coughs> we know this must be the case because it is this self-same Peter, the Apostle Peter, who cries out boldly, and in opposition to humanly devised strictures in the book of Acts who when given strict governmental synagogue orders not to teach not to teach in the name of Jesus anymore what is Peter's cry? We must obey God rather than men to subject yourselves to any Human institution comes with a caveat that it cannot ask you to violate the higher law of God. So much abuse has happened with Christians misreading this, blindly doing what their leaders tell them. This is critical, for example, as pertains to the current horrific hell-inspired Atrocities in the Ukraine. So I say it as directly and bluntly as I can. There is no question but that Russian Christian believers should refuse to obey Putin and his cronies. And in fact, they should speak out and rise up against him. That's the truth. And it's based on the caveat of this text. The second call comes with verse 18 of chapter 2. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are harsh. Again, you heard even in the reading of the text that there are different versions. And I just have to tell you that the very necessary caveat is that the term for servants here is oiketes, is in the context of anyone included in the east oikos system, including extended family and dependent, poor, around, and Widows and traveling lecturers and healers, and including paid workers, call them servants as something like estate employees. So that this text is in no way espousing genteel subjection to slavery of any form of any kind. The term is servants. It's a paid state worker in the oikos system, and why it's called oikites. And again, let me say it as directly as possible Christian voluntary subjection should never, never, never surrender to any sort of agenda of slavery. Never! Because it is obviously far from voluntary. Has nothing to do with voluntary subjection. It's forced slavery. The third call comes as we move now into chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. In the same way, you wives, be subject to your own husbands so that in, even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives. A very necessary caveat here is twofold that will help explain. The first being that you will note how Peter stresses wives in relation to your own husbands. Why this stress? What other husband than your own? Well, because there is good evidence that wives in general in the time frame of the New Testament were actually encouraged in the Greco-Roman world to subject themselves to various male leaders of all sorts, ranging from politicians to theater artists to traveling philosophers to royalty of varying stripes, and to subject subject themselves in every conceivable way, including sexually. No, says Peter and the rest of the New Testament, only to your own husband. doesn't matter who it is in their power over you. The demand of a culture that says you can a woman should subject herself to some strong man, Strong in authority, strong in charisma. The Bible says no. Only to your own husband. That's what that's about. But it does say subject yourselves. The other part of this caveat is to ask the question, why? Why would wives be reminded to be subject to their husbands? when their role was already one of forced servitude anyway, when they were subject to a system of evil patriarchy in which they were already considered the property of a man. Why urge upon them a message of subjection? Well, because the liberating gospel of Jesus Christ had so freed them, so liberated them, such women that they needed to be reminded that mutual voluntary subjection is also the way of Jesus and those who follow in his steps, even as it relates between husbands and wives and wives and husbands. This is... Is a clarion reminder that the gospel of Jesus liberates women. But Jesus' model calls them too to voluntary subjection to your own husband. And finally, we come to the very important fourth call as we move down to verse 7 of chapter 3. You husbands, in the same way, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. The very necessary caveats, plural, Here are oh so important as it relates to how husbands relate to their wives in a culture, a Roman Greco world, in which husbands treated and legally were given the right to consider their wives their property. I own a house, I own cows, I own pigs, I own a wife. So, the necessary first caveat, I will remind you of that we phrase at the beginning, in the same way. Husbands in the same way is the exact phrase used of wives back in 3 1, in the same way. So that it clearly means the very same voluntary mutual subjection. As we have seen in all the other three instances, husbands are in no way excluded from mutual voluntary subjection that accords with the model of Jesus Christ. I am called to submit or to subject myself voluntarily to my wife Cindy on much bigger things than drinking three liters of water. There's many other things where I have to fight my resistance and say, no, I'm married to you. I will voluntarily subject myself in the same way. Second, I will remind you that the description of the wife being weaker because she is a woman includes a Greek descriptive noun which makes certain it is only, only, only talking about physical strength. There is no maligning of, no subordination of, no suggestion of any semblance of the perverse notion of inferiority of women. That is so far from the Bible's pictures all throughout. It has nothing to do that with that. It's simply the recognition that, in general, Male bodies have greater physical strength and women are weaker. Don't ever let somebody tell you based on this that a woman is weaker in any other way than just purely physical. Third, the language of fellow heir of the grace of life in this verse, show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, is emphasizing without question in the Greek language, complete absolute equality. That is precisely what it means. Fellow heir of the grace of life is the Greek way of saying absolutely equal to God's grace. Really angers me when this is mistaught because of the women God raises up. Uh, That's one of the things I love about this church, these women strong and leading. The Nazarene tradition that for generations has promoted that. I love it. I thank you to be part of that. And lastly, the last caveat is so, so strong, isn't it? Do you notice? It is only to the husbands. Only to the husbands that Peter here adds the formidable warning as to actual spiritual consequences to be had for not treating your wife in this understanding and fully equal way as in prayer life can be stilted, hindered, affected, Peter concludes, so that your prayers will not be hindered. I as a husband, I have to take aboard the way I treat my wife has direct correlation to my spiritual health. And it's for me as a husband, doesn't say that to the wife, says that to me. Now there's one other special caveat that is needed as we find, finish. And this is extremely important. Please hear this. For there are are occasionally, in fact, not more than occasionally, husbands and wives who find themselves in extremely precarious situations with one or the other. Husbands with wives or wives with husbands who are a danger to themselves and to their families and to others because of some issue, some problem. Who knows? It can go back to many things, certainly addictions and abuse. So let me be very clear that I never think that voluntary mutual subjection, either for wives or husbands, ever means unquestioning, endorsement of destructive patterns of addiction or abuse or mental health problems. In those cases, I am convinced that healthy, mutual, voluntary subjection actually means taking aboard the suffering that comes as such habits and patterns are lovingly challenged and resisted and not tolerated. That's a caveat that's so important. The Bible is not telling you put up with behaviors that hurt children or destroy relationships. Take on the suffering that comes by actually addressing those issues with love. Tenderness, truth, firmness, but resist them and don't tolerate them. And you pay a price for that, of course, don't you? Suffering of Christ himself. Mutual voluntary subjection. It is not always easy It does not necessarily make you feel good. No, it is in fact costly in accord with the very suffering of Jesus Christ. And so it's no coincidence that in the middle of this text, it's the model of Jesus that Apostle Peter gives. And it is lived out in our lives as we choose to follow in the steps of Jesus. Will you this day, will you with me determine to follow in his steps no matter what it costs, No matter how it makes you feel, because you follow in the steps of a Savior. This is a tough passage. I wish it had been given to somebody else. (laughs) But I've done my best to unpack it, and let's pray that God will help us. Lord God, thank you for Jesus and as we learn about subjecting ourselves voluntarily, whether it be to social orders around us, political government, even churchly powers, whether it be as Servants in a paid role, whether it be as wives and as husbands in the same way, to show how we follow in the steps of Jesus through this hard call of voluntary mutual subjection. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.